Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right. Okay, let's get it going here. <clears throat> uh, shit, am I going to sneeze? Probably best not to start. Let's see. All right, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Coming down in five, four, three, two. Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. Welcome in. This is the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. You know me, I'm Patrick Allen, and I am joined. Once again, by Matt Verderam, fan-sided, NFL insider, NFL expert, and the biggest Chiefs fan I know. Verderam, how's uh, how's things going? It's starting to, it looks like it might warm up here pretty soon, but some people are getting snow here on opening day of the MLB season. I know, I know. Speaking of that, I'm excited. I'm an Oakland A's fan. I know I'm all over the map, um, but I'm, I've been an A's fan for, I don't know, most of my life, 20 years. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it Easter Sunday is supposed to be 72 degrees and sunny out here in Illinois. So I'm, I'm nice. jacked by that because I just took a walk and uh, with the wind chill, it's 16 degrees. So not fun. We're on 72. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, I like to smoke a, a cigar every now and again, as, as you do as well. And yep. I just been, I've been so pissed this early spring because like I, it's every time there's a nice day, it's, it's freaking like, 40 mile per hour winds outside so you know it gets up to like i'm in wisconsin right now it gets up to 58 and i'm like ah man as soon as work's over i'm going right out there i'm gonna light up a stogie it's gonna be great i'm gonna relax maybe have a glass of scotch and then i go out there and it's a 32 degree wind chill every time it's supposed to be warm this weekend so i think i'll be all right but i'm just like cut me a break here man like i just i just really want to have a cigar i don't get to smoke at all really in the winter can't smoke in the house it's brutal I hear you, man. I hear you. I'm with you. I uh, I cannot wait until this weekend. Well, literally, it's going to be in the 70s for the first time since probably, I, I mean, I'm guessing September. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. And then, then next week, I'm not a big golf guy, but the Masters, I always enjoy watching the Masters. So got that next weekend. Got baseball starting up. And uh, as we record this, we are four weeks from the NFL draft. So closing in quick. Very, very exciting. Looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, and <laughs> on the cigar topic, I was thinking about like, I was like, I, you know, I was telling you this the other day, uh, we were hanging out and I said, I wish I had, I wish I could smoke a cigar inside. Cause I, I just prefer to smoke inside. It's not too windy, but I obviously can't do it. I was thinking about like, maybe getting one of those sheds, you know, and just like making yeah. a cigar, like, cause we're getting ready to buy a house. So like put it in the backyard, make a, make a, like a little cigar lounge outside, put a TV in there. That could be all right, because then that way, when you're trying, if you're trying to sell the place, people aren't going to be like, "Ah, oh, it smells like smoking here," and you got to deal with that, and you're ruining yeah. the value of your house. I, I would smoke a cigar in the office, but I'd have to get divorced first. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, you don't want to, don't want that secondhand Steph would smoke. Would have none of that. Yeah, she none yeah. of it. She hates no the good. smell of it, so I'd be, I'd be screwed. Now we're going to get into a listener review here in a second, but I just want to tease you: the big, massive news that Chiefs Kingdom has been waiting for my review of the little Debbie oatmeal cream pie cereal is coming at the end of this podcast. So if you're like, uh, some of you don't like the food talk at the beginning, we're going to put it at the end. But you know, I think for most of you, this is, this is a reason to stick around because I've got stuff. I got some stuff to say. Um, This isn't a down the middle review. I feel very strongly one way about this. Okay. (laughs) Let's, I know people have been waiting for it. I just they probably been you know not been able to focus on anything else since the last podcast. People have been skipping out of work. To, to yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, we did get one review this week that I noticed from our guy from our from our uh, PR manager uh, Clint, um, and he said, uh, uh, "Patrick and Matt, thanks so much for releasing this consistently. The most impor- uh, informative and entertaining cheese podcast in the kingdom." On to the question. 
Irrespective of positional groups and the needs thereof, do you believe it is more likely that the Chiefs move up in the draft, select at 31, or move back? Judging by past experiences and Mr. Veach's personality, isn't isn't Clint great calling him Mr. I, Veach? I, what a nice Clint person. on to just just write uh, copy. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to. It's a good idea. Um, uh, judging by the past experiences and Mr. Veach's personality, and you you say this all the time, he likes to go big game hunting. He likes to make he bold does. moves. He's he not does. a conservative GM. Uh, moving up seems likely. However, good GMs are not slaves to a particular philosophy, and they know when to break tendencies. What do you think? So I'll take a crack at this. First of all, I, I agree with Clint. Uh, and thank you, as always, Clint, for your, your questions and your listenership and your support. Um, Veach has a history. Now, in the draft, he has done both things. Um, he, he traded up for Hardman in the second round. His his first draft as a GM, I believe. Am I right with that? All right. Uh, second draft as a GM. So... His second draft as a GM, they, they didn't have a first-round pick because he, he had already traded those picks for Frank Clark. Um, they traded up for McCall Hartman. So in the past, he has, early in the draft, he, he's been willing to, to move up and, and, and get whoever he feels is, is the best guy. Um, now... It, you know, does that, has it worked out all the time? No. Like if you go and look at their drafts, he's they've had three as as uh, Veach's brainchild. Okay, the first draft, I think he would even tell you was awful. They they took they didn't have a first round pick. Uh, they took Breland Speaks in the second round, which was a disaster. They did get Derek Nottie, but everybody else is a complete waste of time. Um, last year or the 2019 draft, I should say, they traded up for Hardman. They drafted Juan Thornhill. They took Fenton in the sixth round. They got Allegretti in the seventh round. That's actually a very nice draft, especially considering they didn't have a first-round pick. Last year, they held firm. They didn't move around a lot. They took Clyde Edwards-Alaire at 32, Willie Gay at 63, Lucas Yang at 96. Um, They held pretty firm. So my expectation is actually that they will either trade up a few spots or that they'll stay where they are at 31. I don't think they're going to trade back because they need a left tackle in the worst way. And they're like, I don't, I know the way this works. They're going to take a tackle at 31 and then they're going to come out and say, yeah, he's the best player available. Maybe right. that ends up being true. But let me tell you something. Even if it's not true, that's what they're going to say. They need a tackle. I know for a fact that they love this class of, of offensive linemen and tackles in particular. I would be very surprised if they walk out of the first round, whether it be at 31 or above that, without a tackle to replace Eric Fisher. Uh, because that is clearly the biggest need on this team right now. It would take some sort of monumental shift, I think, in the yeah. it's somebody really good falling all the way to them, right? Like it would ha- it would have to take something that just like you yeah, know that you would because the be players a- aren't that like spread out at that point, right? Like you, you know, it's like how much better is it with two players? Maybe you think the guy's a little bit better than the guy that you end up taking. Like it's not worth going out of position of need. You know, and people always get into all this stuff about BPA. And look, if the Chiefs can draft in this class, it's 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 completely not applicable because the only tight end worth the damn in this class is Kyle Pitts, and he's going to go in the top five picks. But like, let's just say there was a tight end who everybody thought was going to go in the early teens, and he fell to the Chiefs. You think the Chiefs are taking him? Like, I don't care if he's the best player on their board; they're not going to take him. They, what are they going to do? Play him, play him twenty snaps a game. So uh, they, they know they need a left tackle. I've said on here, and I'll say it again. I think the most likely scenario for them at left tackle is drafting one in the first round and then checking in on Eric Fisher come the summer and seeing where he's at, and then maybe that's your, your competition there. Um, I don't think there's any reason to think otherwise. You know, They signed Austin Blythe at center. For one year and nine hundred grand, and Blight is a pretty good player. He's not great, but he's good. He's a solid center. I don't go crazy about Pro Football Focus, but if you care about that type of thing, they ranked him ninth uh, last season. He's been a three-year starter for the Rams, started for them in the Super Bowl. He's a, he's a good, solid player. Um, so now you start looking at that line, and 
my understanding from, from talking to people around that situation is that he will compete with Allegretti at center with Blythe, I think, obviously, and this, this part's my opinion, being the favorite there, um, that Allegretti played center in Illinois, so he's going to shift back from guard to center. Then the Chiefs have Long, LDT, and Tooney as the front runners to start at guard. Obviously, Tooney is going to start, and then it's a competition. I was, um, you know, through, through my conversations with Mike McCartney, Tooney's agent, when I did that that piece on the way the contract broke, he made it a point to say, "Look, we expect him to play guard, but he loves to play center. He would not be upset at all if he ends up at center." And my my understanding is, again, you know, through talking to some other sources with this, is it it's likely that he's a guard. But if the if the Chiefs went through camp and LDT and Long were both fantastic, that they could play Tooney at center and just play both those other guards starting at left and right guard. Long, I would imagine, would be the left guard. And then you've got Remmers and Niang at right tackle. So the Chiefs, if nothing else, Brett Veach has set himself up where they have a lot of options and they've got a lot of depth. And obviously that's something that, that they didn't have by the end of last season. Do you feel like it makes even makes sense for it might make sense for the team, but like, does it make sense for teams to trade up into the back end of the first round anymore? Like, shouldn't they target? Isn't the way the salary structured? I, I might be wrong about this, but like first round pick versus second round pick. Does that make a difference in the salary? And if if, if, if you're looking to trade back at 31 or 32, shouldn't that team, if they don't think their player is going to go right behind you, shouldn't they trade up to try to get up to the top of the second round? You could, but here's why I would actually counter that. And if I were the Chiefs, I would not trade out of the back end of the first round. Because when you trade, when you, when you pick in the first round, you get a fifth-year option on that player. Ah, uh, yeah. And there's immense value in that. There's a lot. In fact, teams will tell you that it costs more now to trade back into the back end to get 30 or 31 or 32 because those teams know why you're doing it to so get a fifth-year option. Right. Like that's, that's why like the, the Ravens were smart to do it when they took Lamar Jackson. They took him 32nd. They traded up into the first round because it got them the fifth-year option with him. Um, now, if you get a really good offer and you think the guy you really like is really worth the 40th pick in the draft, then okay, that's one thing. But like, if Kansas City sitting at 31 and there's a tackle there that they like – and they're like, well, we could really probably get him at 35 and maybe pick up a fourth-round pick. Yeah. yeah, but is that is that fourth-round pick worth that fifth-year option? And it gives you more bargaining power. So your point's not wrong. Like, you are paying more on the front end a little bit, but you get that extra year of control. And I think a lot of teams like to have that extra year of control. It gives them more negotiation leverage down the line. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't considered that. And if it And if the player turns out to be really good – the extra money that you're paying for them being a first-round pick is nothing compared to it's when you've got to re-sign them right. early, it, especially depending on the position, right? Like maybe if it's a center, okay, but like this, the Chiefs are going to take a left tackle and the guy turns out to be, you know, a top 10 player or something like that, That's right. that buys them another year of salary relief on that person that they're probably going to eventually have to, to re-sign to keep Pat Mahomes upright. All right. Uh, Let's, uh, we're going to get into our main discussion here, but we're going to take our quick first break on the other side. We're going to talk about a couple of big free agent signings that the Chiefs made since last time we spoke to you. And uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, this oatmeal cream pie cereal review. It's big news. This is the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. All right, we are back. Um, okay, so... We're getting close to the draft. We're, we're probably you and I are probably going to have to start busting out some mocks here on the podcast pretty soon. That day is not today, but let's talk about these free agency signings that the Chiefs snagged. Interesting, not not uh, a name that probably wasn't on a lot of people's radar heading into the off season, but the Chiefs signed a defensive tackle from the Seattle Seahawks, John Reed. It's a one year deal worth up to seven million dollars. Now, this guy, I'll give you the primer right here, and then and then we'll get your reaction program. So 19 and a half sacks over the last three years, including six and a half last year. Uh, and that's right in the ballpark of what Chris Jones and Frank Clark got for the Chiefs last year. So that's interesting. Um, I think we all agree that, that that number is not what we're looking for from those two players. But we'll, we'll talk about how that right. this signing impacts that in, in a minute. Um, and... And what he said when he, he did his first press conference with the team is, is, I'm here to relieve double teams. And I got this stat from the Kansas City Star. 
Chris Jones was doubled on 50% of his 700 snaps last season. I don't care how good you are. That's, 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 that's tough. So what's your reaction to the signing Verterham? Do you like it? And do you think Reed can help free up Chris Jones a little bit to get, I mean, he's still going to get double teamed, but maybe it, maybe it has an impact on Reed. Right. And so that's it. You know, I, I actually love the signing and this isn't like a, a Homer opinion. I've always thought Jaron is a very good player. I always judge it by like, all right, so growing up now that I cover the whole league, I, I can't, I can't feel this way technically, but growing up, I always hated the Broncos more than any other team. Just did. Grew up with LA or anything. I, you know, so my thought process is like, if Jaron Reed had signed with Denver, would I have, as a Chiefs fan, like, damn, that, that's, that's tough. Yeah, I would have. Like, I, I would have been like, yeah, that's a, that's a great signing by them. Reed is a really good player. A really, really good player. He had 10 and a half sacks in 2018. I believe he had six and a half last year. Um, he can play. And, you know, th- you, know you, you see six or six and a half and go, ah, you know, is it really? That, for an interior pass rusher, that's a lot. That's a lot of sacks. That's and I want to give credit to Matt McMullen, who who works for the Chiefs. He's kind of the, the Chiefs, uh, I believe he's a Chiefs digital reporter, producer. He tweeted this out yesterday. The last time Frank Clark and Jaron Reed played with one another, this was 2018 in Seattle, they combined for 114 pressures, 64 hurries, 51 quarterback hits, and 23 and a half sacks. Like if the if those two even come near that number with 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 Chris Jones, that is a monster output, and and it's not yeah. like either one of them's old. Like they're all in the prime of their careers. So I think the biggest thing it's going to do it's going to move it's going to allow Jones to move around the formation a little bit. I can see them kicking him out the edge on on first down and and letting Naughty and and Reed play inside because Reed is a very good run defender. He's a better run defender than Jones is. So. You know, him and Naughty inside, and they got Clark and Jones on the outside. Then you go to pass rushing downs. You reduce Jones back inside with Reed. Maybe you put Dan outside or if they draft the kid, whatever. Um, Jones is still going to get those double teams. But now it's going to be harder because before, the Chiefs didn't have another guy next to him who could really get up the field. Like, Deshaun Wharton was interesting, and, and he's a good prospect type of player, but he's not Jaron Reed. If John Reed is constantly going one-on-one, he's going to have a very, very productive season. And now it's harder to slide the line outward. It's harder to slide toward Clark. I, I can tell you this. I talked to a few executives around the league the night at- the night that Reed was signed, and one called it a steal for the Chiefs. Another said, I can't believe, in fact, he used the term shocked, uh, that Seattle could not trade him. So it was a coup. Nate Taylor, a good friend of mine, a great reporter, writer over the athletic who covers the chiefs. Um, he, he was saying that there were seven teams that went on read. It's, a, it's quite a few. So it's great for Kansas city. He's to me, along with Tooney, he's the biggest signing they had by a mile. And those are, those are two big signings. I know people are complaining about the fact they didn't sign Juju or, or Trent Williams. And I, and I hear that. I get that. But Tooney and Reed, like, You'd be go around the league and find me an uh, like find me teams that had two more impactful signings than that. You might think, oh, it wouldn't be that hard. Go try, go try. Like it's in the top ten, no doubt about it. I I think it was a very nice job by by Brett Beach and company. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are asking, well, okay, well, if this guy's so good, like what happened? Like why is he? Why was he on the market? So he was he reached 28. He was entering the final season of his contract with the Seahawks, uh, and he had an eight, $8.32 million base salary and a 13.975 cap number per over the cap. And this is from NFL.com. Uh, so by releasing him, he came with $5 million in dead money, but that's also saved the Seahawks $8.97 million in cap savings. And I think he wanted a – I read this somewhere. He wanted a big deal, and the Seahawks just weren't willing to to give it to him, long-term security, those types of things. So they – and to your point, they for whatever reason, they couldn't trade him, so they let him go. And now if you're the Chiefs – and again, maybe one of the reasons they couldn't trade him is, you know, he's got a $13.9 million cap penalty, and, and, and these teams are like – they all kind of have a hunch. They're like, well, you know, we might be better off. Like if he gets released, so we'll get him for a better deal. And that's exactly what right. happened with the Chiefs. 
And so they got him for basically half the money. And what's great for, I think, Reed is that we all know that the salary cap's probably going to go up, right? TV deal, money, all that oh, stuff. Oh, it's going to go so, up. So why does Reed come to Kansas City? It makes perfect sense. And this is why I, why I think some of those receivers should have come to Kansas City on a one-year deal, but they didn't. He comes into this defensive line. He's the third, second, third best pass rusher, right? Depending on which Frank Clark shows up for any game. You know that there's, like we said earlier, teams are still going to double team Chris Jones. He is a monster. If you leave him, if you give him too much single coverage in a game, he's going to, he's going to wreck the game. He's going to wreck it. So they're going to, Reed's going to see a lot of one-on-ones. It's going to free up things for Frank Clark a little bit. Cause if you're double teaming Chris Jones on the line, if you've got a running back staying in to chip either Frank Clark or Jerron Reed, if they get through the other guys got, he's, he's got something in his back pocket here. So I think for Reed, if you're Reed, Hey man, I'm going to Kansas city. I'm going to a, a, a good defensive line where I'm not going to get, I'm not going to see probably any double teams very often. I can rack up huge numbers, maybe win a Super Bowl. So I'm going to be on TV all the time. And then I'm going to hit free agency. I'm going to be 29. I'm going to be 29 years old. Like he comes in and he gets like 11 sacks or something, 10 sacks playing with the Chiefs. And he, and he makes a couple of big plays in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Some teams gonna that thinks he's the missing piece is going to come in and lay a huge contract on him, especially if the salary cap goes up. It's a no-brainer for Reed. Well, and again, look, you know, I said this, I believe, in the last podcast. I can't sometimes remember if I say it here on Stacking the Box, but, um, you know, agents consider all this stuff, and so do players. Like, so I know one of the teams going after Reed was was Cincinnati. I have no idea what their offer was to him. I don't know. Nate, Nate, again, Nate Taylor had the report of the, the, the Bengals, the Bills, and the, the Cowboys were interested in him, uh, among other teams. But none of those teams have anybody inside like Chris Jones. You're never, ever, ever, ever seeing a double team if you're drawn ever in this defense. You're not. And so, you know, if he goes somewhere else, he's going to be focused on, especially on the interior. Well, in Kansas, he's not going to get focused on. The other thing the agent's looking at is saying, you're never going to play a game that's not either a national primetime game or a late window standalone game. I mean, out of 17 games that they play next year, I guarantee you a dozen of them are either a late window standalone or primetime. And then you're going to do the playoff games. That stuff is huge. I, I know it, it shouldn't be, right? Like in today's day and age, Every team has access to every film. It shouldn't matter, but it does matter. It does matter. Executives, scouts, personnel men, they're all like you and me. They're sitting there watching Monday Night Football. They're watching Sunday Night Football. They are. And you'd say, well, geez, their job is to sit there and call through every game. Yeah, it is. But, you know, sometimes you know, shit happens. And you don't, you don't call through every game the way you normally do. Or... You even are doing your job and you are calling through everything, but you know, a guy makes a huge impression on you on a Monday night. You know, the Chiefs are playing the Ravens and Jerron Reed is three sacks on Lamar Jackson. That's going to stand out. It's going to matter. Like we're all human, right? So that that stuff all factors in. And yeah, absolutely. And if you're the Chiefs, you also look at Jerron Reed and say, listen. If he's great, like if he comes in and has a career year, let's just say pie in the sky is 12 sacks. He's phenomenal. And there's just a wrecking crew and they win the Super Bowl and their defensive line is a huge reason why. Now the Chiefs, A, have the first way to negotiate with him because they have months that they can talk to him like January and February where, where no other team can. And if they really want to, and I'm not saying they would do this, but they could theoretically, they could tag him. So... The Chiefs also gain leverage in this as well. I think it was a home run move. There is no downside. He's a very good player. He's not Aaron Donald. He is not Chris Jones. He's he's not Fletcher Cox. But he's on that next tier of defensive tackles. He's a very, very nice player, and he's going to do a lot for really the entirety of the of the defensive front. And it's kind of crazy because all of our focus was on the offense because everybody, I think, kind of felt like the, the offense – was the problem in the Super Bowl because of the offensive line, but like y'all, <laughs> the offense is is fine, and they don't need to do anything. 
that def- the Chiefs couldn't stop the Bucks either in that Super Bowl. Listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off. But I, this has been something that I, I I get this all the time, and it's just something that it drives me absolutely crazy. When you are evaluating the Chiefs and and what they need to do and where they were last year, and for the love of God, and I'm not saying you, but just stop evaluating them based off the Super Bowl. Just yeah. stop. It's one game, as big of a game as it is, and it was the last memory you have of them. They had no offensive line. They were missing everybody. Like, and, and defensively in that game, like you're right, they couldn't. But that game went sideways immediately. They had a million calls go against them, and some of which they, they certainly deserve to have go against them. But there were they had an interception that got nullified that frankly shouldn't have gotten nullified. They had a bunch of just, you know, Andy calling timeouts at the end of the half when they could have just gone to half. That game was a crap show in a, in a dumpster fire. Like that, trying to evaluate them based off that's nuts. Here are their totals offensively this past year. Score just point totals 34, 23, 34, 26, 32, 26, 43, 35, 33, 35, 27, 22, 33, 32, 17, 21. They had their backups in. 30 and and then and then in the playoffs they were rolling Cleveland and then obviously of course as we all know Mahomes ends up leaving the game but he had 19 points in the first half okay finished with 22 but 19 in the first half we're well on their way to over 30 and then against against Buffalo scored 38 points so like I I get it I, I get everybody always thinks about the Super Bowl they always focus because it's the last memory you have and it was like you know it's a Super Bowl I I, I totally understand that. But when you think about them, evaluate based off of what you saw. And if you remember, if you're listening to this podcast and you were throughout the year, Patrick and I sat here and talked. It felt like weekly about the lack of a pass rush. That was the thing. We we never talked about their offense. No. Ever. We talked about the linebackers are bad in coverage. You got to get more of it. I mean, I, the number one thing you and I sat here and talked about for months was their pass rush. Constantly, over and over and over and over and over. Jerron Reed is a big step toward fixing that, if not fixing it completely because of what it does for the other guys as well. So I get it. but And, and the offensive line was a concern, but guys, they add Tooney, they add Blythe. Tooney is an all-pro player. They had Kyle Long, who I'm not even going to say he's a three-time pro bowler because he was a pro bowler like eons ago. They add him. But they also add Duvernay Tardif and Yang. They have a ton of new guys. I, I, I just think I think that gets lost because they were guys who were technically on the roster. Like the Chiefs did fix a ton of that stuff. And Reed coming in fixes a lot of that. And I know people are split on Dan Sorensen. To me, he was an important guy to bring back because they asked him to do a lot of different things in this defense. He's not a great player, but he's good and he's extremely versatile. And it's hard to find guys like that. Like I if I'm the Chiefs the rest of this offseason, I'd like to see them bring back Breland. I don't think it's essential. I would like to see them do it. And then after that, I got to tell you, keep tabs on Eric Fisher and just go into the draft. They are massive favorites right now to win the AFC in Vegas. Massive. To the point that if you double their odds, they're still significant favorites. So I, I think, look, the Chiefs should feel good. But just, hey, don't focus on the Super Bowl. Focus on the way they were all year long because that's what you're building off of, not off of one 60-minute snapshot. And I'll say this about Dan Sorensen. He's not a great player, but he's a good player who makes great plays. And that is why they're bringing Dan Sorensen back. He makes game-changing plays. The dude just does. He's where he's supposed to be. We've talked about this a million times. I'm not going to beat it in the ground. That's why he's coming back. He's not just your average player. He's 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 a little bit better than that. He's a little bit special because of his playmaking ability. Would not have won the Super Bowl if he was not the same. Absolutely. And just and on the defensive front, and we're going to get to the Blythe signing. Uh, I'll just add that the Chiefs they're not always going to go up against. They're not going to get to the Super Bowl every year and go up against a Jimmy Garoppolo who's like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Thank God I've got this great team around me. They're going to run into Tom Brady. They're going to run into maybe Aaron Rodgers or uh, you know some of these uh, the better quarterbacks in the AFC or Russell Wilson. And you better believe the way that – how do you beat a great quarterback? We all saw it in the Super Bowl. Get pressure with four. The Chiefs are going to need to be able to do that. 
And uh, I think this is the right move for them. Okay, Austin Blythe. That's the second signing. Um, And uh, he was a – I wrote Seahawks here. That's wrong. He was former Rams center. Um, (laughs) And I had Seahawks on the brain. Uh, Former Rams center. He was a a seventh-round pick by the Colts. Um, and I'll, I'll read this from you. People were really split on this guy. Um, people are talking about Ryder and how he didn't allow a sack last year. This is from Arrowhead Addict contributor Josh Fan. You can check out this article on the site. He said, this past season for the Rams, Blythe was actually ranked in the top 10 in run-blocking win rate among centers. In addition, Blythe posted a, 7 point, a 73.2 overall run-blocking grade, according to PFF, and helped lead a top-10 rushing offense with Los Angeles. Lastly, Blythe only committed one penalty in well over 1,000 snaps in 2020. This should be music to Chiefs fans' ears because of what this team really needed. What this team really needed at center was a center like Blythe. And I'll say that, remember last year, we talked about a ton. Chiefs are getting to third and short, and they were throwing the ball. Because they could not gain a yard. So this had to have gone into Brett Veach's thinking. They signed the man for under a million dollars. I think it was like $975,000 base or something. Um, Yeah. So what were your thoughts on this signing? So first of all, there's no downside. It's a a one-year $900,000. I mean, I think if he hits all of his incentives, it's $1.75 million. And I I don't know if I said this last week, so forgive me if I did. It's worth pointing out. And I, and I learned this actually like a month ago. That number is not by accident. When you sign a player for less or at $1.75 million, it does not count against your compensatory pick formula. So when you see players signing one-year deals, look at that number. If it's more than that, it counts against the formula. If it's at that, at that figure or less, it, it, it doesn't. And, I, and my understanding per source is that the Chiefs when they went after Josh Reynolds, they were not willing to go above that number because they, they felt like it would you know potentially take a draft pick away, and essentially they were trading a draft pick for Josh Reynolds. And so, um, you know, it. And, and then you look now, Josh Reynolds ends up signing with the Titans, and he ended up getting right at that figure. And he ends up going there. He has a one point seven five million dollar cap hit with Tennessee. So essentially. He went there because he felt like he could be the number two receiver behind A.J. Brown. Um, but anyway, I digress. With Blythe, he's a he's a, a three-year starter with the Rams. He's only missed one game over the last three years. Okay, He's, he's played guard. He's played center. Um, he, is, he, he played right guard in 2018, 2019. Last year, played center all 16 games. He is a small offensive lineman. He weighs 295 pounds. But it helps him with a low center of gravity. He's been a good player. He's going to be 29 years old by the time the season starts. So get him in the prime of his career. I don't see any downside with it. Um, do I think he's a, a great player? No. No, I don't think he's a great player. If he's a great player, you wouldn't have gotten him for one year and $900,000. But he is a guy who has starting experience, who's been a good player, who can come in and, and really provide – some punch inside. You talked about the run blocking. It's kind of what he's known for. I don't worry about the pass blocking as much because he's next to Tooney and he's next to either LDT or Long. Like, I'm not that concerned about it. My understanding is he's going to have to win the job, that Allegretti is going to be in that competition as well. But I think they're the Chiefs. Like, that's fine. You're fine with that. And 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 you st- and by the way, I could still see them drafting a center. Not not like in the first round or anything, but I could see them doing it. They know they need a long-term answer. So that's fine. But the Chiefs have continued to throw a lot of resources at the offensive line. We knew they had to. They've done that. And now the big question is just what they do at left tackle because I think otherwise they're pretty much set. And I know a lot of you out there are traumatized from the Super Bowl and the offensive line thing. But if you're waiting for five pro bowlers across the offensive line, yeah. you better go find a time machine and go back to the 90s because it's not, not, on, not, not in the cards here. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I like the signing a lot. Uh, it's good depth signing. It's an experienced player with a ton of starting uh, time. And he's played in an offense somewhat similar to what the Chiefs are, are going to be running. A dynamic offense. Sean McVay liked to throw the ball a lot. Run probably a little bit more than Reed last year in particular. Uh, but those are some other reasons. Okay. 
uh, let's take our last break. On the other side, I got a little power ranking here. Uh, I thought this would be fun, ranking the Chiefs coaches in my lifetime. I was born in 1983, so there's some uh, there's some good ones in here, but most of them are bad. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. All right, Verderm, let's do a little Chiefs power rankings. I sent this to you this morning. I don't know if you had time to do it, but I'll run through mine. So I was born in 1983. I looked up all the Chiefs coaches. Look, I don't have a lot of strong opinions about the Chiefs coaches in the 80s, but you don't need to look very far into it to realize it weren't so good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, I, there, were not, there were nine head coaches between 1983 and now for the Kansas City Chiefs. So we all know who number one is, Andy Reid, without question. He Marty won more games, but Andy won the big one, and he's he's going to blow by Marty as long as he coaches. Uh, oh, geez, if he coaches next year, he's going to blow by Marty. So Andy's yeah. ninety-one and thirty-seven as Chiefs head coach, absolutely fantastic. Number two, of course, the great Marty Schottenheimer, one hundred and one and fifty-eight. I re- like I'll always, you know, I've talked about this. Chiefs fans just never knew how good they had it when Marty Schottenheimer, as did the other teams he coached for, did not know how good they had it. They had Marty Schottenheimer. Number three was also an easy one. Dick Vermeil, 80 and 44 during his time with the Chiefs. Couple, couple of really strong seasons there, an exciting offense. Weren't They weren't as consistent as I would have liked to, them to have been during that time, but boy, were they fun to watch on offense. Couldn't stop a nosebleed. But they're fun on offense to watch. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was I like got... getting jabbed in the eye with a with a fork watching them defensively, yeah. but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so then this is where it got a little bit more difficult. I went ahead or, with... or depressing, either depressing. Time yeah. Well, look, I, I number four is Gunther Cunningham for me. Sixteen and sixteen. He two eight and eight seasons, I believe, with the Chiefs, uh when he when he coached there. Um you know, that was a kind of the tail end of the Schottenheimer era. Gunther takes over. So has a good team. They're not great. And that's pretty much and, and that was probably Gunther as a head coach. He he was he probably wasn't a, a difference maker as as a head coach. Great defensive mind, but um sixteen and sixteen, not gonna get it done. The Chiefs the Chiefs moved on. Uh number five, John Makovic, thirty and thirty-four. Basically, what would have happened if they stuck with Gunther Cunningham for a couple more years, right? Not fantastic. Yeah. So then, this th- th- these two near and dear to my heart. How do I how do I parse out Todd Haley and Herm Edwards, who <laughs> Arrowhead Attic founders Adam and Zach Best used to sell shirts with with Herm's face on it back in back in early like two thousand seven two thousand eight with Herm's face on it that said "Do no harm." Um, Absolutely hilarious. Or maybe they said, do no Herm. I don't know. Anyway, they were funny, and, it, and Herm sucked. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you think of it? So, so I, I went with Haley. He was 19-26 and 26 as a Chiefs head coach. He won the division, got him to a playoff game. Not uh, Herm, Herm did as well, but he was 15-33. and 33. Now, look, I'll, I'll say this for Herm. I liked Herm as a man. Uh, I liked – I did think that that last year – where he, where they decided they were going to commit to the rebuild, and they tore the the team down to the studs, and then he got fired, which is what happens, which is why you never want to commit to a rebuild if you're a head coach because they're going to fire you. Um, how would you rank those? Just those two in particular, Haley and Herm. Um, I'm going to surprise you, but I'm going to go way higher on Haley. Way I, higher. I, yeah, like I look, I will forever stand on this mountain. Todd Haley was not a bad head coach. That team yeah. was a dysfunctional disaster around it. I don't now, now you could argue he was a bastard to have to deal with, which seems yeah. to be a universal opinion. But as far as a, if you gave him a real quarterback, I bet you they would have been pretty good. Now I don't know if he would have stuck around forever because he might have just burned people out. But oh, Herm was god awful. I mean, Herm was just. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Herm. Well, the last two on my list, Frank Gantz, right. 8 and 22. And all the way down at the bottom, our old pal, Romeo Cornell, 4 and 15. If, if I could say one thing, the best thing that Romeo did for the Chiefs was be so bad that he got fired and we got to hire Andy Reid. Yeah. So, so really, they should send a ring to Romeo. 
I think. Give, give the man a ring. Because if he goes and he wins like eight games or something that year, who knows where Andy Reid's coaching, but it might not be Kansas City. Uh, did, did, you do, did you do a ranking yourself? So I did mentally. I didn't write it down. But I, look, the, the obvious stuff, I think you pretty much hit on. Like Andy's got to be number one. They want a Super Bowl with him. He's an all-time great coach. Schottenheimer's, of course, number two. Love Marty. Number three, yeah, Vermeil. Um, I wasn't alive when Makovic was, was the uh, coach, May 3 to 86. So I was born in 88. But, I mean, look, Makovic was a terrible coach who they made the playoffs in 86 because they had something like seven touchdowns on special teams. Like, they would just block punts at an unbelievable rate, actually to the point that the NFL did a video on it for YouTube. If you ever want to look it up? <laughs> oh, that's like, incredible. It's the greatest special teams unit ever. Like Albert Lewis was blocking punts at like a one every other game rate. It was insane. Um, in fact, to make the playoffs, they had to beat Pittsburgh at Three Rivers the last game, last day of the regular season. They scored twenty four points. All three of them were special teams touchdowns. That's, That's how they bananas. won the game. That's how they won. Then they went and played the Jets in the wild card round and just got the absolute crap beat out of them. But you guessed it, <laughs> scored on a block punt for a touchdown. Albert Lewis. Um, yeah, so it, listen, and and the reason, and then Makovic, right after they went to the playoffs for the first time in fifteen years, they fired him, and they <laughs> hired Frank Gans, who was the special teams oh. coach, because they were like, he's an amazing special teams coach. I bet he'd be great as a head coach. Nope, trash. Eight twenty two and one. Getting so, too cute. Yeah, um, I but after after Vermeil at three, I would actually go with Haley. Like I, I thought look, they won a division. They were a block kick away from winning another one. I mean, they were terrible. They, they would have won that crappy division. I just thought he had no talent. I mean, they, they basically had, they had a couple guys in defense and Jamal Charles on offense and, like, kind of Dwayne Bowe. And the rest of the team was horrific. Yeah. And they went into the playoffs. Um, I'm taking out the fact that I think he was kind of an a-hole to deal with by all accounts. I mean, I, I've never met Todd Haley, so I don't know personally, but it seems like that's everybody's universal opinion. But then again, he also deals Scott Pioli, who doesn't have the greatest reputation in the world as being the easiest guy to work with. So, who the hell knows? But I'll, I'll take Haley four, and then, then probably yeah, Gunther five, um, and that that leaves me with Herm, Frank Gans, and Cornell. And I, Frank Gans never hurt me because he was he was only there for the first couple months, so he's six. Yeah. Herm was awful. Like people forget that he took over a team. That was actually a good team. Like they right, were winning right. double digit game, and he just immediately tanked the hell out of that. Like just instantaneously, they were awful. So, but Cornell's the worst. I mean, Cornell is Romeo Cornell is the only coach who ever managed to get me to stop watching them. Uh, the second half of the year where he coached them, I just stopped watching. I, they were so embarrassing; it was impossible to watch them play football for me. Yeah. I, I I couldn't even watch. It was it was a joke. I mean, they, they they couldn't sell the games out. They had that one game where they they had all the fans dressed in black and they were they were running a banner o- over the stadium. The fans yeah. paid you know fire fire. That I mean, it was just it was brutal. But you're right. Like the only thing he did well was he was so bad. He got fired after one year instead of two when Reed would have been somewhere else. And he got Andy Reed in there. And I I am convinced that Clark Hunt basically was like, this has been such a tire fire. I don't care what it costs. We have to get somebody in here who restores credibility. And yeah. they did. And yeah. they did. And because they got Reed, they got John Dorsey, who was friends with them. Who, you know, but they also got Brett Veach, who came over from Philadelphia, and Rick Burkholder, their renowned trainer, who came over from Philadelphia. So, yeah, it was. I mean, in, in retrospect, Romeo being a train wreck was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> alongside his comment about Bo when he was hurt, he's like, "Yeah, he's got a little groin." Just an all-time press conference moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a little uh, groin. Yeah, he's got a little groin. He's got a little groin. Um, Hilarious. Yeah, and I'll say this for Haley. If you go back and you look at that 2010 team and you and you see that they won 10 games and made the playoffs, pretty good performance. Pretty good coaching performance on Haley's part. But, yeah, I agree with you. They, 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 they weren't drafting well for the most part. And God almighty, he just would have been – it would have eventually got – that's why he can't – like, it just – people just hate him. They just can't, like, they don't, you know, Pittsburgh, everywhere he's been, he clashes with people too much. And I think that's just his big, his big downfall is you, you got to got guys that want to, he, I know his mentor was Bill Parcells, but you ain't Bill Parcells, Todd. 
You know, you're just not. And you can't, you can't, frankly, I think these days in particular, you, Bill Parcells wouldn't work in the NFL these days. He would get, people would hate Bill Parcells. They're not going to, it's a different time. And I think, you know, even a guy like Herm, Herm probably would have been a good coach if he was coaching when Lombardi coached. He might have been brilliant, but he just was out. He was, he was outdated in his coaching. If you're going to coach like that, I I do think you can do it. Belichick is somewhat like that, but you you have to win, and you got to win a lot early, and then guys will buy in because you're winning. Like I'm a Knicks fan, so the Knicks have been god awful trash for 20 years. It's not even an exaggeration. They hired Tom Thibodeau this, this offseason, which I, I actually was kind of like, yeah, he's older. I don't know. He played that Minnesota. Tom Thibodeau screams at them the entire game. And you can hear it because there's nobody in the stands. I mean, Tom Thibodeau is literally just screaming at them. But they're they're 500 and they're 15 in the Eastern Conference. And who's going to say anything to them? They haven't won anything in yeah. forever. So it's like, all right, well, if that's what Tibbs wants, it's what we're doing. And I do think with, you know, with, with Haley – had they have been a consistent winner right off the bat with him, which of course with that roster would have been brutal, but you, you could have done it. But you're right. It is harder to do it now than it was. Like Tom Coughlin was like that, but he had to somewhat change his approach before he won his two Super Bowls. He had to back off a little bit. Now he was still somebody who would get in your face. Eric Bieniemy gets in people's faces, but they're great offensively. So those guys will just take it. Like if they're if you're terrible and you got to listen to that crap, then you really want out. You know, I think a, a good differentiator, and then and then we'll move on because we're gonna have to wrap it up here. But <laughs> you know how when you have a coach like Haley or Bill Parcells, especially especially these days, because everybody's charm and soft. Like if things go bad, you're done. You're done for. You can't like the, like remember when the Chiefs started with Andy Reid when they started like one and five, and then they won eleven games in a row. Yeah. If Todd Haley's never doing that, not in a million years. I don't care how much talent he has. They start one and five with a. You start one and five with a coach like that today. It's it's over. You're not turning around. I think I think more we're going to see more and more coaches like Andy Reid are going to thrive because of the shift, just the shifting social dynamics that we have now about how people treat each other and what's acceptable to you know whatever you think about that. You know, politics aside, it just seems to be the way things are going. And I think as the as the younger players continue to come out. They're going to expect more Andy Reid's, less Todd Haley's, and that might not necessarily be a bad thing. Okay, we're going to have to go soon because I've got a meeting that I'm going to have to get to. I can't miss it. It's with the boss. Uh, we got to talk a little Debbie. You and I have been talking about the cereal. It's been out there. I've been sending you pictures from Walmart on my phone now a couple different times being like, look at this Look at this mess in the cereal aisle. What are we going to do? I got to get my hands on this. I finally bought a box. I texted you last weekend. I'm like, we're gonna yep. do, we're gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna eat this. I came home. I immediately sat down, poured a bowl. Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie cereal review. This is one of the most disappointing moments of my life. How do you screw this up? I'm looking at the box. It looks like I've got a bowl of mini oatmeal cookies here. What could possibly? How how can you screw this up? What could go wrong? If I've got a bowl, it's like Cookie Crisp, right? It's a bowl of of chocolate chip cookies. It's a win. Everyone's going to love it. Hall of Fame cereal. I'm like, this is going to be right up there. This is going to be incredible. I I, I, I pour it into the bowl, and I'm looking at these things. They don't look like exactly like they do on the box. They're a different color. They're... They're these like weird, like round, crispy things that sort of resemble an oatmeal cream pie, but there's no cream. There's nothing in the middle. Switch to me. This isn't a sandwiched cookie situation here. So I'm like, okay, well, it's cereal. Maybe, I don't know, preservatives, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They got to do it like this. I'm going to give it a shot. Pour, Pour the milk in. But it doesn't look like an oatmeal cream pie at all. It doesn't taste anything like an oatmeal cream pie. It is... It is overwhelmingly cinnamon flavored. No cream. There's no cream. The milk doesn't provide the cream. It doesn't work. It's it's crispy. It's sweet. Like, is it a horrible cereal? Is it like, uh, you know, oat bran or some crap, you know, terrible thing? No. But it's an absolute, and I got some tweets from people about this, an absolute disappointment. A t- totally what you're looking at on the box and what you end up getting. Absolutely terrible. 
So what I've done is I've created a serial rating scale for us, Virgo. And this is the first time I'm telling him about this. Uh, it's a zero to five scale. And I'm going to, the way that I've decided to do it is to go with the GOAT of serial CT Crunch. So yep. we're going we're gonna to rate this on a zero to five scale, zero being terrible, no CT Crunch, and five being you get five CT Crunches. It's a two. It's a two CT Crunches for the oatmeal cream pie cereal. I think that's being generous, but I tried to separate the fact that my 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 expectations and my disappointment from like, okay, how's the cereal actually? Like if it was called something else and I picked it up and I ate it, like how would I feel about it? And I would feel like, meh, like this is fine. It's not terrible, but like there are too many good cereals to ever buy this again. Uh, like I don't even know how I'm going to finish the box, to be honest with you, because it's like, uh, fine. Like I'm just, it's, it feels, it's going to feel more like a chore than a pleasure. And that's not what you want from your cereal. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, Verdram. You don't need to. You don't need to. You don't need to pull the trigger on the oatmeal cream pie. Hopefully, the cosmic brownie offering in May will be not as big a disappointment. It better not be because, frankly, I don't. I don't care about the the oatmeal sub. But I I do care about the uh, cosmic brownie. And if that's not good, I'm going to be sending a very vulgar strongly worded letter <laughs> you're gonna cut them out company. yeah i'm big what is this you know what what is this crap you know i am i am excited in fact i actually went to uh i i got gas this morning and i filled up the car and, uh i saw cosmic brownies I took everything i had not to buy them but no i'll be furious i'll be absolutely furious if it's not good all right everybody We've got to get going, uh, but thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, everywhere you get your podcasts, we're there. As you know, your reviews help our show grow so uh, and helps us bring you more content. So head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a, li- a written review, give us five stars, please, and let us know what questions you have that we can answer on the show. We're going to answer all of them on this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. He's at at Matt Verderam. I'm at at R. Patrick Allen. You also need to follow uh, at Matt Connor AA, the the expert at Arrowhead Addict, and also uh, co-host of the other version of the Arrowhead Addict podcast, along with Sterling Holmes. I think his I still haven't learned his Twitter, but I think it's at Home Slice KC. Sterling and Matt bringing you brought you a lot of bonus content recently. They they jumped right on after some of these recent signings. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't heard those episodes, go back and check them out. And um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Make sure you follow at Arrowhead Addict. Check out the site every day as we get closer to draft season. And that's probably where we're, what we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks leading up to the big day is who are the Chiefs going to add to the team? Oh, very exciting. All right. For Matt Verderam, my name is Patrick Allen. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, go Chiefs. Chiefs.